Good morning. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. Last week we had over 3,000 people who showed up to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I said, uh, raise your hand if you're not going to come back. No one did. So I was assuming you'd all be here. So it's great to, great to see you back. Of course, our women are off on retreat, but except for them. So good to have you back. You are in for a real treat this morning. It's baptism uh, weekend. Last night we had five folks that were baptized. Um, you're also going to be hearing about one of the mysteries of the New Testament. I hope that you'll find that uh, interesting. Last week we all walked together with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the uh, mother of James and Salome. We walked into the empty tomb of Jesus and discovered what they discovered together. This morning, we are going to hear the rest of the story. Most of you know that I studied uh, at St. Andrews University in Scotland for a couple of years. I lived in a a residence hall right across from the cathedral. It was a wonderful space. They had a a library in that residence hall. And I figured since I was studying in Scotland, I ought to avail myself of some of the great Scottish literature. Scottish literature. And so I, I, I went into that little library and I checked out Ivanhoe, which is a, the, probably the most famous novel written by Sir Walter Scott. Yes, Sir Walter Scott. Uh, I, I took it back to my room. I, it was actually, uh, it, was, it was long. It was like 400 pages long. Uh, more to the point, he was a pretty wordy guy. I guess those novelists were in those days. So, uh, so I, but I was going to power through it. And uh, as I was drawing near the end, I was feeling very proud of myself. I was coming, kind of getting into the rhythm of it until I turned to about page 385 and realized that that was it. Because someone had torn out the last three pages or so of the book. I was left dangling. I was so crestfallen, I didn't even try to find another copy. I still don't know how Ivanhoe ends to this day. (laughs) Would you be surprised to discover that the exact same thing happened to the Gospel of Mark? Mark wrote his gospel around 60 AD, about 30 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. And we don't have the original manuscript. We don't have that first document that Mark wrote or that someone penned for him. By the way, those are called the autographs, the original document. We don't have that, nor do we have the autographs of any of the New Testament documents. Uh, They were lost long ago. What we do have, though, is an astounding thousands and thousands, more by far than any ancient piece of literature, thousands of copies that were written, some of them in the earliest part, in, in as early as the second century, the 100s. So it is really astounding, the, the manuscript evidence that we have. Um, the oldest, most reliable copies that we have of the Gospel of Mark end abruptly at verse 8. Now, we actually looked at that last week in uh, our Easter reading. I want to just remind you, for, refresh your memory. Mary Magdalene and the other women have gone to the empty tomb of Jesus. They walk in. They see a young man, an angel. He tells them not to be terrified. They'd be terrified anyway. And he goes on with his spiel. He says, Jesus is risen. He is not here. Look where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples that he is alive and he wants to meet them in Galilee. Bada bing, bada boom. That was it. I mean, that was the announcement. And, and here we go. Now, here's what I wish we read next in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Here's the, what I would have loved to read next. After a momentary shock, the women were filled with joy, remembering that Jesus had told them. This And they rushed off, found the disciples, and eagerly shared the news. Jesus is alive! Huzzah! That's what I would have liked to have read. Here is what Mark actually writes. And this is how the Gospel of Mark ends. And they went out 
and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The end. Talk about a cliffhanger, right? You say, wait a second, I'm looking right here. Verses 9 through 20 in my Bible. Read the fine print. Read the fine print. Every reliable Bible is going to say some of the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. And actually, they are being polite. There's almost no question, even among the most conservative scholars, that the last verses were not written by Mark. They are not original to it. Mark's original gospel ends abruptly at verse 8, and for they were afraid. So, what do we do with that? What happened? There are many theories. Some would suggest that Mark ended it intentionally on a cliffhanger to make every reader come to his own conclusion. To that, I say, rubbish. That, it, it's not what he did. Others say that Mark was martyred in Rome before he had a chance to finish the book. That's possible. I think it's much simpler than that. And, uh, and I'm with uh, many scholars who know way more about it than I do. I think the last page of the book fell off. That often happened in ancient manuscripts. They were the most vulnerable. The first and the last pages often end up deteriorating first. And so the early church leaders, and I'm talking in the early second century, the 100s, the early church leaders were saying, what are we going to do? We're missing this precious part of the story. And so they actually took stories from Matthew and from Luke and from John. That's what you find in those last verses. And they pasted them in there uh, to... To, uh, to the book. But I'm telling you, and there's nothing wrong with what they teach there, but it's not original to Mark. So, why'd they do that? Why did they do that? Because they wanted the punchline. They wanted the punchline. The other three Gospels tell of Jesus appearing in the flesh after the angels have announced that he has been raised. The other three Gospels have Jesus appearing in the flesh. These early church editors, they wanted Mark to end that way too. The way that they assumed the story originally ended. And so they did their best to fill in what had been lost with these other gospel accounts. And I understand that. I'm a historian. I would love to know what the last few verses of the original ending of Mark were. And who knows, maybe someday it will be found. It will be a great discovery. But here's the deal. By the the guidance of the Spirit, this is what we have. This is what we have been given. And it's been preserved down through the ages by the church. And, and I would say this. There is a sense in which every Christian writes the ending to that gospel. What do I mean by that? We believe that every person that invites Jesus to take control of their lives, that every single one of us is writing our own epilogue to that gospel story. The resurrection wasn't just for those frightened women. It wasn't just for those cowardly disciples. The resurrection is for us today. This Jesus this wasn't just alive 2,000 years ago in a story that we read. We believe Jesus is alive today, right now. And his Holy Spirit waits to be invited by every single person, one at a time. That is how his kingdom grows. One person at a time, responding to the power of the resurrected Christ. Initially, we are told these women were terrified. And they didn't say a thing because their heads were spinning. Yours would be too, I'm sure. But you realize it was only temporary, right? 
We know that the truth of what they had witnessed began to sink in. And as it sunk in, as the spirit of the resurrected Jesus settled into their spirits, their fear was replaced with courage. Their timidity was replaced with power. Their despair was replaced with hope. And their silence was replaced with shouts of joy. He is alive. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. You realize that? We would not know about it if they had not regained their tongue. But let's face it. Encountering Jesus can be daunting. Because it means getting honest with ourselves about how really broken we are, whatever the outside looks like. And it means deciding whether or not we trust Jesus to do a better job of running our own lives than we do. And the answer, by the way, is... Yes, he does do a better job of running your life than you do every time. Every time someone raises their hand to respond to the work of the Spirit, as last week 71 people did in our Easter services, and 25 who professed that they gave their life to Christ for the first time. Every time someone presents themselves to be baptized, as five did last night, and I don't know how many will do today because I'm hoping and believing that beyond those who are already signed up, some of you will say, you know, it's time for me. Every time we are finishing the gospel story, we are adding our name, we are adding our story, we are adding our witness to the billions of Christians who have gone before us. And so I thought on this day when we're talking about the rest of the story that it might be well for you to hear the story of two of your own people. This is where the rubber meets the road, when the things that I talk about begins to take root in the hearts of the people of the congregation, and their lives are changed. So, first of all, I want you to meet Gina Stewart. Gina is one of our elders. She's on session. She's been here at Chapel Hill since 1996. It is a scary thing to sit up here and talk in front of your your peers, so would you welcome Gina up as she comes to share with us? Good to see you. Thank you. There. Carol Merrill is bringing out the... Only this service would get that. Thank you. Some of you apparently didn't either. Welcome. Thank you for doing this. Um, I was uh, really quite astounded as we talked together about your story because you had a remarkably uh, tragic childhood. Your dad was married six times. Um, You were abused by your stepmoms. You felt abandoned by your own mother until the day when she kidnapped you and was arrested at the border of Canada. Uh, So I just got to say, how in the world did you make it through that crazy childhood? Yeah, well, crazy is a good word for it. Um, As a little child, I I put up walls and I withdrew emotionally. Um, But then as I got a little older, about 12... Um, I got angry, and I adopted the attitude, i got to take care of myself because nobody's going to take care of me, and, and I really didn't trust anybody would. Hmm. Six marriages. Uh, your home life didn't exactly provide a model for stable uh, relationship. Could you tell me a little bit about that? No. Um, although as angry as I was at my, my dad and his choices, um, I began to repeat the pattern myself. I married, I had a child, and I was divorced twice by the time I was 28. Hmm. And then my, my current marriage, um, the first year in was really difficult, and um, I hadn't changed. 
And uh, we were separated by the end of that, that first year. And it was about that time that I started to just think, you know, something's, something's not quite right here. I, I, don't, I don't know what is wrong with me, but something's wrong. And God really started to get your attention through an unexpected source, didn't he? Mm. Tell us about that. Well, I was separated from my mother when I was two. And uh, I went to live with my dad, and my brothers went with my mom. And it was just a, a really deep wound um, I felt abandoned and unwanted, and um, I longed for her my whole childhood. I just had this deep longing, and God used my mother to point me to Jesus, and she invited me to church. And of course, in my stubborn way, I said, no, I don't need to go to church. church. My life's all together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully... uh, after she kept inviting for a while, I said yes. And as soon as I said yes, the transformation began. Um, I, I remember sitting the first few weeks at church and just uncontrollably crying. And, um, but Jesus began to open my eyes, and I began to see things differently. And I began to see marriage differently. It wasn't this fairy tale on the one end that I was striving for or what I had experienced as a child. It was totally different. And um, so after a few more weeks of church, I found myself on my knees in my room alone. And I was just in this pit of despair. And my life was playing before me and the shame of it. And I I was just so uh, sorrowful. And I, I just looked up and said, Jesus, I give up. I can't do it. I surrender. And he just reached down and took my hand and he pulled me up. Hmm. And he said, go, sin no more. And God used this church in a variety of ways to, to, about that point, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. About six months later, Jeff and I landed here at Chapel Hill and um, I just immersed myself in all that Chapel Hill had to offer. I volunteered for Sunday school and I learned the Bible study or the Bible stories right along with the kids. And I was in studies and doc groups and cove groups. And, you know, I just took it all in. And Celebrate Recovery became a part of your own journey too. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, about four years ago, um, my husband and I were in a really dark time. My, our our adult uh, son, our youngest adult son, had gone off the radar, and uh, we knew that he was addicted to heroin. Mm. Um, but suddenly he was just gone. He disappeared. There was no way to reach him. We don't know where he lived, nothing. And um, as the months started passing, uh, I was reverted back to all those feelings of abandonment and, and feeling unwanted and my life out of control. And I, I was just obsessed with trying to save him. I would stake places out in Tacoma. I'd go and sit in my car and just any place I thought he might be so that I could talk to him and and save him. And uh, I learned about Celebrate Recovery um, about a year in uh, to the silence. And and I was praying the whole time, Lord, help help me just hear from him. Help me find him. But there was just silence. And about a year in, um, I decided to try Celebrate Recovery. And so I went, and God got my attention right away. The the very first step 
talks about um, realizing that you're not God. And wow, it just, um, I realized I was trying to be God um, in Justin's life. Mm. And I remembered it hadn't worked out so well for me. (laughs) (laughs) So I was at a crossroads at that point. I could either stay in this hopelessness or I could trust that Jesus did love me and that he did hear my prayers Mm. and that he was at work in Justin's life. And I chose that. You said something like you felt realized that you could trust him even to his last breath. Even to his last breath. Yeah, that, that hit me. Yeah. I would hit every parent. Um, this is baptism weekend. Mm. Would you talk about the role that baptism played in your journey? Mm. It's an unusual one. <laughs> well, some might say it's ironic. I don't think so. Uh, my grandmother had me baptized into the Presbyterian church as a child. Mm. And uh, I don't remember that. I wasn't raised in the church. I later found the certificate. But I look back now, and I know for sure uh, that God set me apart during that baptism. And he took hold of me. And um, even though I was running the other direction, he never let me go. You were running. I was running. He ran faster, (laughs) and he caught you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Gina, she's a little farther along in her story of Christian pilgrimage. I want you to meet someone else who's uh, closer to the beginning. Matt Dennison, would you come on up? Matt works in the uh, shipyards at uh, Bangor. He works on those big Trident subs, and that's pretty cool. Um, And Matt, why don't you tell us, you were here Christmas Eve. Appreciate uh, it. And you heard an invitation. Tell us what happened on Christmas Eve. Yeah, so when when I was here for the Christmas Eve service... Uh, they were talking about um, baptizing, to get baptized. And uh, I was just like, I was wanting to be baptized, and I just had it on my, on my mind. And I heard about it, and I was like, well, perfect. Uh, this is my chance. So uh, I, I went through the baptize. I got baptized, and uh, it was a great experience because I was, I was baptized as a child, but I don't really remember it. You know, growing up in a, a Christian family, I just was longing for a, a refresh, a renewal, a renewal yeah. of my baptism, exactly. And so I went through that. And then they also were talking about Alpha, and uh, I was like, oh, well, that sounds really cool. I'm going to see what Alpha's all about. And... Uh, I I actually went through the first section first section of Alpha and it was a great experience and uh, it was such a great experience that I'm actually doing it a second time around and I'm a helper and uh, it's it's great. You, uh, you you had quite an experience on the Alpha retreat. There's a retreat right in the middle of Alpha, the Holy Spirit weekend they call it. Um, And it was pretty moving. Would would you tell us a little bit about that? Of course, of course. Yeah, so when it came to the Alpha Weekend, um, we were asked, you know, we were asking for the Holy Spirit to come into us. And I felt the Holy Spirit come into me. And I just just started crying uncontrollably. And uh, I, I honestly felt the Holy Spirit come into me. It was amazing. And... You shared that there have been ways that you've seen your life beginning to change uh, 
may, maybe seem small and yet really has been significant for you? For instance, the way you behave at work. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, working at Banger, it's, uh, it's a construction atmosphere. And so everyone's cussing and just, you know, you're, you're rushing for the job to get done. And uh, I... Uh, I do my best not to cuss, you know, and they, they see that. They're like, what's, what's different about this guy? You know, uh, he doesn't cuss when, you know, everyone's, everyone else, everyone else, everyone else is, you know. And so they're, they're seeing that and they're like, all right, well, maybe I can do the same. When you drop one of those big pieces of equipment on your toe, do you cuss then? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I got a finger to... <laughs> you do your best, you know, yeah. you, you apologize. I'm like, Lord, I'm, you yeah, know. This is, it's wonderful. So you're, uh, you're seeing already the Holy Spirit's beginning to do what you've asked him to do, which is yeah. come in and, and change and transform you. Exactly. Isn't this a wonderful story to hear from two of these folks? Say thank you. I, uh, it, it's a scary thing to get up here in front of your, uh, your brothers and sisters, but I'm really grateful. Uh, I think that's what, it makes it all come alive, doesn't it? It's not just me up there, blah, 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 but you're hearing how the Holy Spirit is really at work. Um, so one of my questions is, okay, what's, what's next for you? This is fine f- for, for them, but what's next for you? You know, I'll bet, 90, I'll bet 95, 98% of the people in this room would say that they have given their life to Christ. Maybe 99% of you have been baptized, and yet you hear Gina's story, and you say, you know what? I live in that kind of fear. I don't really trust God. I am afraid for my children. I'm afraid for my grandchildren. I'm afraid for my retirement. Go on and on and on. And you realize that you live in a world of, of control freaks, and there's a sense in which many of us are spiritual control freaks. And so we keep using the name of Christ, and we keep pressing ahead, but we're not, we're living as functional atheists. Maybe for you, a, a, a next point would be to show up next Wednesday and hear the rest of Gina's wonderful story, and have the courage to be able to ask the question, is it time for me to really let loose of my life so that God can have his way for me? Maybe that's your next step. You're baptized, you're a member, you're all that, but maybe what you really need to do is really turn your life over to Christ. There are others of you who here are I have not yet been baptized, have not yet publicly said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Uh, up till this point, maybe like the women, you're, you've been silent, maybe even a little bit frightened about the, the implications of, of doing that. And yet, here's, here's the moment. And so I want to invite you, if you've never been baptized, if you've never publicly confirmed your faith in Christ, this is the day. This, uh, today is the day of salvation, we find in the New Testament. And so I want to invite you to make this your day of salvation as you respond to what Jesus has done for you. It's your chance for you to write your epilogue to the gospel story. Maybe you want to get into the pool with the rest of us, uh, and that would be great. Uh, And we've got a towel for you and a few other garments that you could wear home. Um, Maybe you'd prefer to be sprinkled. We still do that too. You know, we dry clean. We, you know, completely launder. We We do the whole thing. We're your full service church. So... Um, but would you please, would you please listen, as, as Matt said, what is your heart telling you? What is the Lord saying to you this day? Would you have the courage to respond, to do what he says? And let's just pray together as we prepare for our time of sacrament. What a great, um, what a great thing it is, Lord, to hear how you have touched the lives of people in a very specific and personal way. 
And that story has been written again and again and again. We have the chance, the privilege of writing the epilogue to that chapter where first we're frightened and then we suddenly realize you are who you say you are and you've done what you said you've done and you will do what you promised you will do and then we say, Holy Spirit, I need that. I pray for the control freaks who claim your name and yet they live as if they don't believe in you. What is the step, God, that they might take to be set free? Maybe it's CR. Would you give them the courage to admit the truth? I pray for those who don't yet know you and have thought about this for so long but never had the courage to step up. Would you give them courage this day to stand up, come forward, to declare your faith, their faith in you and to receive the waters of baptism? In any respect, God, we thank you for what you are doing in this moment and we declare you are good and you are powerful and you are faithful and we thank you for that.